Welcome to the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, the nation's key nonpartisan policy forum for tackling global issues through independent research, open dialogue, and informing actionable ideas for the policy community. This is a Wilson Center special event hosted by our experts and scholars. Be sure to check out our other media, videos, audio, and podcasts at wilsoncenter.org. Hello, everyone, wherever you may be. My name is Michael Kugelman. I'm the Asia Program Deputy Director and Senior Associate at the Wilson Center. Thanks for joining us today for this event, which will look at the recent developments in Afghanistan for the South Asia region. It marks the latest product of the Wilson Center's new Afghanistan initiative, Hindsight Upfront. We have a great panel with us today, and I'll briefly introduce them. All of them have either been Wilson Center fellows or partnered with us in some other way. Uh, Ambassador David Hale is a Wilson Center Distinguished Diplomatic Fellow. He was previously Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs. And before that, he was, among other things, the U.S. Ambassador to Pakistan and Lebanon and a Special Envoy for Middle East Peace. Ambassador Maliha Lodi is a former Wilson Center Public Policy Fellow. She is a former Pakistan Ambassador to the U.S., the U.K., and the U.N. She's also served as an editor with the News Newspaper in Pakistan. And early in her career, she taught politics at the London School of Economics. Nanzan Unakrishnan is a distinguished fellow at the Observer Research Foundation in New Delhi, where he oversees the Eurasia program. He was previously a journalist with the Press Trust of India and also with Business India's TV channel, TBI. And he's also held a position at the Institute for Defense Studies and Analyses. Huma Yusuf is a Wilson Center Global Fellow and a former uh, Pakistan scholar. She is a weekly columnist for Dawn, a Pakistani newspaper. She was previously features editor for Dawn and the monthly news analysis magazine, Herald. And last but not least, we have Dr. Venkat Lakanathan. He is a Wilson Center Global Fellow and also director and associate professor at the School of International Cooperation, Security and Strategic Languages at Rashtriya Raksha University in India. And he is a former assistant director of the National Security Council Secretariat in the government of India. So it really is a great and varied panel. But first, before we get to it, I'd like to recognize the Wilson Center's president, director, and CEO, Ambassador Mark Green, who's kindly agreed to offer some opening thoughts. So over to you, Ambassador Green. Great. Thanks, Michael. And welcome, everyone, to this third in our series, Hindsight Upfront, Lessons and Implications of the Withdrawal from Afghanistan. Our first session featured our Global Advisory Council co-chairs, David Petraeus and Sir John Scarlett. Our second, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster. You can still view those sessions by going to our website. You'll also find there a collection of Wilson Center materials that will provide context and deeper analysis on, on this challenging topic. And now for today and a program that I believe will be every bit as informative and interesting, what the withdrawal means for South Asia. In 2020, Congress created a blue ribbon panel of experts called the Afghanistan Study Group. Its purpose was to create new recommendations on Afghanistan for policymakers. I was a member of that study group. Our final report, called A Pathway for Peace, concluded that the best American approach for Afghanistan required a new overarching regional strategy. The report stated that Afghanistan lies in the middle of a region beset with rivalries and low levels of trust. It saw the potential for a fragile but real regional consensus 
behind a stable and neutral Afghanistan that is neither a haven for terrorists nor a fiefdom of the Taliban. We found that a stable Afghanistan would create the potential for regional economic cooperation that could benefit all countries in the region. But we also warned that an unstable Afghanistan risked destabilizing the region to continue trade and illicit drugs, the attraction of extremist ideologies, and the possible exacerbation of the rivalry between India and Pakistan, two nuclear armed powers. So the question is, which will it be? And what would an overarching regional strategy look like? Of course, as we gather, we're all facing uh, more immediate questions. From refugee flows to the interruption of humanitarian and development assistance to the movement of violent extremists, what are the spillover effects of the Taliban takeover? What position will South Asian governments take towards the Taliban regime? And under what conditions will they recognize it? That's a lot to process and a lot that we need to get right. And the experts here today, as Michael introduced them, they can help us make a good start. I'm looking forward to the program. Michael, back to you. Well, thank you very much, Ambassador Green, uh, for those very useful opening comments, which I think have uh, teed up the discussion very nicely. And so we'll now have each of the panelists offer a brief opening comment before we go to uh, questions. And if you in the audience have a question, uh, please tweet it to at Asia Program, P-R-O-G-R-A-M, or email it to asia at wilsoncenter.org. Uh, so let's get started. And I wanted to first uh, recognize Ambassador Hale. So Ambassador Hale, over to you for your opening comment. Hello to everyone, Michael, Mark, thank you. Um, let me start with a disclaimer. I'm a foreign service officer still today. I'm on secondment or uh, on a fellowship at uh, Wilson and enjoying that very much. I, of course, speak for myself and not the State Department. Uh, by the same token, though, as an FSO, I think it's important to do what I've always uh, preached to others which is any dissent, uh, which is invaluable in the Foreign Service, be voiced within uh, the system and not without, outside the system. Uh, so I will be focusing my comments uh, on, uh, on the future uh, and on the implications more than on uh, recent events, um, which I think is an, an invaluable <clears throat> opportunity now to talk about where we go from here. Once the evacuation done, which is obviously uh, job one, we need to move very quickly and, in fact, now to beginning to think about the geostrategic considerations, uh, to look at things with fresh eyes. Uh, to, we have no longer the heavy baggage that we bore for better or will, ill in Afghanistan, uh, and to develop new concepts and plans to address the post-withdrawal environment. We still have vital counterterrorism interests at stake in the region, and we should do all we can under the new circumstances uh, to prevent ISIS and Al-Qaeda from again threatening the U.S. from Afghanistan. We also still have a strong global web of, of alliances uh, that are strong and vibrant and relevant, and we should continue to bring them to bear on joint counterterrorism interests in South Asia. And we will need the capacity and, and to the extent possible, the, the will to target uh, terrorist sites in Afghanistan and not do so alone, but to work jointly uh, with these alliances that I mentioned. <clears throat> I'd like to comment uh, first on Afghanistan. Um, our leverage remains real, uh, if limited. Uh, the Taliban, in my opinion, do not crave international legitimacy so much that they will compromise on their core principles or change their true colors. 
Uh, their statements, uh, the ones we're hearing now, are to be expected, while their behavior, which we're seeing now, uh, demonstrates that they have not really changed since 2001. And when they're gov- they say governance will be guided by the Sharia, they mean it will be guided by their version of the Sharia, which will make Saudi Arabia look a lot like the city of San Francisco. We must apply pressure, even if chances of it altering behavior are limited. We can build a coalition that will take the measures we have already taken and more. I'm speaking of freezing assets, of stopping cash transfers, of withholding diplomatic recognition, of continuing the UN sanctions, while, of course, communicating to the Taliban how to ease these pressures, uh, which would be on their part suppressing ISIS and al-Qaeda, protecting human rights and humanitarian access, um, and allowing the processing of refugees, among other goals. Achieving these goals will, will require dialogue with the Taliban. We talked to them while we fought. There's no reason we can't do so after our withdrawal if we see a potential for results. That is not the same thing as offering diplomatic recognition. I think there's a low probability of success in such a dialogue. The Taliban standards of successful governance differ from ours fundamentally, and probably from uh, those standards of most Afghans, uh, who are helpless, unfortunately, uh, to disagree. But try, we should. Let me turn to Pakistan briefly. Um, Our relations with and the behavior of a nuclear state matter. Uh, But the U.S. is no longer constrained by the need to preserve the the so-called ALOCs and GLOCs, the uh, air and ground uh, logistical communication links that we required from Pakistan to sustain the war in Afghanistan. Uh, Those gave Pakistan leverage over us, and we no longer need to tolerate the things we tolerated uh, because of that dependency including years of duplicity in our diplomatic dialogue about the Taliban. Pakistan feels vindicated. We see that in the uh, news coverage uh, by the victory of the Taliban. Uh, We see them believing this eliminates the Indian inroads that were made in Afghanistan. We see that they believe they've gained new strategic depth, a long-term goal of the Pakistani military establishment. Uh, We see that it puts in place leaders that Pakistan has long sheltered uh, and cultivated as the leaders in Kabul. Um, we, I'm sure Pakistan sees the new regime as an opportunity for security and stability and economic growth, uh, which would benefit Pakistan. Um, but we all, I think, need to urge our friends to think again. Uh, there's a risk, of course, immediately of an emboldened uh, TTP, the P- Pakistan Taliban, uh, a group that the Pakistani military suppressed at great expense a few years ago, and of course, of extremism generally uh, re-emerging. And Pakistan is deeply complicit with the Taliban, yet knows that it, and learned, unfortunately, that it can't always get the cooperation they seek from the Taliban. This dilemma is now worse for them now. So our message should be clear and tough. There will be global pressure on the Taliban to prevent the emergence of terrorist groups from Afghanistan. Pakistan point in that campaign or be isolated. Uh, they have to ask themselves whether they want to be tethered to a state that runs the risk of becoming another pariah state. Um, and moreover, if, uh, if Al-Qaeda or ISIS were to mount a campaign from Afghanistan that would harm U.S. interests, Islamabad should brace for the worst. I've just been a moment on India. We have a lot of expertise here on that. But I, my own view is not very much changes, actually. India will become, again, a potential target, as they are now, for extremism. Uh, but India's involvement in Afghanistan, to me, was more tactical than strategic. And I don't see a major change in the equation given India's influence uh, and demographic size and and ability to extend power. Our own strategic relationship with India is an opportunity to weigh the consequences of what's just happened. Uh, But of course, it's not a substitute for the direct regional presence 
that we did, did, did benefit from in Afghanistan. Um, before I turn this back over to you, Michael, I'd like just one word on, uh, on Central Asia. Uh, America's developed very strong ties there, and we see Moscow already reasserting uh, its power post-U.S. withdrawal. And I think it's going to be important for the United States to continue to bear in mind Central Asia uh, into the equation, uh, consult the leaders there, uh, expand our projects, deepen our CT cooperation. Uh, we're not competing with Russia and China, uh, but we are offering alternatives. I think that's very important. Uh, and lastly, uh, perhaps we'll have time to discuss China and how we should engage China at this important moment. But I'll leave that to the, the Q&A. Michael. Well, thank you very much, Ambassador Hale. Uh, let's now go to uh, Ambassador Lodi. Uh, I wanted to first, of course, thank uh, Michael, uh, Ambassador Green. It's good to uh, see uh, Ambassador Hale as well. Um, so it's a great pleasure to be virtually back at the Wilson Center. I have very fond memories of spending many, many months there. Uh, let me try to give you a Pakistan perspective, which is why you've asked me. So this is a perspective very much from Islamabad. I'm no longer an official, uh, but let me try to explain uh, where Pakistan is right now. I uh, have written a piece uh, which appeared in the FT today, uh, which really talked about <clears throat> Pakistan's fears about what might happen uh, if the Taliban are unable to form a government by accommodating others, and if they fail to govern, and if they um, you know, revert to the kind of behavior uh, that was characteristic of them back in the 1990s. So I'm not going to repeat that, but I would ask you to just have a quick look, because uh, quite different from what Ambassador Hale has said, actually, uh, there may be um, some people here who may be sanguine uh, about the future. But certainly, I don't find um, you know, serious people in my country, including those in both the civil and military uh, circles, uh, in any way being less apprehensive uh, than the uh, rest of the neighbors of Afghanistan about what might happen. Uh, the reason is simple. The situation is extremely uncertain. Uh, certainly, there has been relief uh, over the fact that there was no protracted uh, bloodshed. Um, and that Afghanistan did not descend uh, into a civil war, which many were forecasting. Let's face it, the intelligence agencies of just about every country didn't foresee uh, what happened. Uh, neither did we. Uh, Pakistan was just as stunned uh, as the rest of the world in the speed and relatively bloodless way uh, in which the Taliban uh, took over. Uh, so the questions that you know uh, uh, we are confronted with are pretty much the same that the international community is going to be grappling with, uh, which is you know will they be able to govern? How different are the Taliban from when they ruled in the 1990s when they imposed an austere and repressive system uh, on the people? Uh, Pakistan is in no mood to rush to recognition. Uh, diplomatic engagement continues. Uh, I think every country is engaging. Just about every country shouldn't say every country, but most countries are engaging with the Taliban. But everyone is withholding recognition because like everyone else, we in Pakistan also want to see whether the Taliban will make good on the promises that they have made. <clears throat> and I think the answers to these questions will only emerge with time. Uh, Pakistan has played an active behind the scenes role, also expected of it by the international community and also requested by the United States to nudge the Taliban towards an inclusive government. This is a work in progress. 
but is it, I think you know we believe it's important in this phase to continue to engage with the Taliban, as engagement is likely to have a moderating effect, and it's already obliged them to hold out assurances. Now, of course, we don't think that we'll be content with just these assurances. We'd like to see them translated into actions. But certainly, uh, Pakistan has leverage, but there are limits to Pakistan's leverage now that the Taliban are in control of their country. Uh, so collective action, in, in fact, may be more effective. Uh, and uh, in our view, the extended troika, uh, which comprises the United States, Russia, China, and Pakistan, remains a useful vehicle uh, to exert joint pressure. I think we've already seen in the UN Security Council statement of 16th of uh, August what the international community expects the Taliban to do. Uh, and these expectations are, you know, obvious. Respect for human rights, respect for women's rights, uh, forming an inclusive government, uh, running the country in a manner that is accommodative of other groups. And of course, above all, um, the need for the next or the new Afghan government to combat terrorism. Um, as Ambassador Hale has said, you know, for Pakistan, uh, a huge uh, challenge is the presence of the TTP, the Pakistani Taliban, as it is called, uh, which is about 6,000 6, uh, strong and remains uh, in Afghanistan. Now, we've heard also the Taliban, Afghan Taliban say <clears throat> that they will deal with these groups. Uh, you know, this is of concern to us, but as, as you all know, uh, for the Chinese, it's ETIM, uh, for the Central Asians, it's IMU, uh, for the Russians and everyone else, actually, it's uh, ISIS or Daesh. So these are of great concern. And for Pakistan security, uh, it's essential that we see the Taliban take action. Now, they've said that they will not allow their country to be used as a haven for these terrorist groups. Uh, but, you know, it's important that we see, as I said before, uh, it's important that we see them take action uh, against these groups. Um, as far as uh, uh, Pakistan is concerned, as I said, you know, we, we, the stakes are very high, uh, clearly, uh, as it is for other countries. Uh, you know, and, and this is very much a personal view. I think it's very important for the international community to remain united so that collective pressure can be mounted on the Taliban. I think if this international consensus, which is there right now, I think all countries now uh, expect to see the same uh, of the Taliban as anybody else. But if this international unity fractures uh, and major differences emerge between, let's say, neighbors or the big powers, uh, then it will provide wriggle room uh, to the Taliban to back out of their promises. And I don't think that is something that Pakistan will want to see or anybody else would want to see. So for now, um, I think I would end on this note that, you know, there is great, uh, you know, it's a fraught situation. Nobody really can tell what will happen post-August 31st. Um, the Taliban have said, in fact, the Americans have requested the Taliban, as far as we know, that they should not form the government until after August the 31st. Uh, the Taliban have actually said this also publicly. Now, let's see if after that, they're able to actually form a government. They claim that they have reached a deal uh, with the Northern Alliance. Again, we don't know whether this will happen. But I can say this, Pakistan, other than Afghanistan itself, has the most to gain from peace and the most to fear 
if Afghanistan descends into another round of, uh, if not civil war, but protracted fighting or instability. So there's certainly, I mean, I don't know if there are triumphal noises coming from certain sections in Pakistan, uh, that certainly does not reflect uh, the views of those um, who are in charge of the country's security. I think we're watching the situation very, very closely, very carefully. Uh, and Pakistan wants to be lockstep with the international community on these issues of recognition, also of you know, dealing with the Taliban, ensuring that they stick to their promises. Because Pakistan knows that it faced isolation in the 1990s when it was one of three countries that recognized the Taliban. So there is absolutely no desire for Pakistan to return uh, in any way to that period. In any case, the international environment is fundamentally different uh, from the 1990s. So we're consulting closely with the Chinese, with the Russians, of course, with the Americans as well. Uh, with Iran, uh, as I speak, uh, my country's foreign minister is on his way to meet with the new foreign minister of Iran, also visiting Central Asian Republic. So we're very interested in, in, in seeing what kind of a regional consensus uh, can emerge. I mean, basic precepts and principles are there, but there's a need to operationalize them because, you know, everybody can make these feel-good statements. But the important thing is countries, including mine, we have to abide by what we say. So let's see when the political fog begins to lift after August the 31st, because, uh, you know, it will become clear whether Afghanistan's leaders will be able to deliver peace over time, that their people are so desperate to see. Because if they're unable to do this, then not only Afghanistan, that will be at risk. It will also be Pakistan and the rest of the region. So the last thing uh, you know, we want to see is a situation of that kind. And um, if, if you like a reversion, although I think it's too early to talk about such things, but you know, it's important to flag them. Uh, the kind of proxy war that we saw in the 1990s, I mean, this is not something uh, that anybody in Pakistan would either wish to engage in or would want to see. So let me end on that note. Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador uh, Lodi. I agree with your point that uh, you know we'll have hopefully a better sense as to how things will look in Afghanistan after August 31st. Of course, that's especially the case if if the administration does indeed pull all its troops on the 31st, which plans to do now. But one never knows if things change in the coming days. At any rate, uh, let's now go to um, Nandan Unakrishnan. Thank you, Michael. Thank you to the Wilson Center. I think between Ambassador. Hale and Ambassador Lodi, they have covered most of the ground. So I may sound a bit repetitive, but uh, given the paucity of time, I also may oversimplify some things, uh, but I'm sure we can deal with that in question uh, time as it were. So I'll try and reduce it to basically uh, looking a little ahead and looking at two options. Uh, one is uh, the option of stability. There are many uh, questions, of course, what does stability imply? But let's assume for a moment that uh, Taliban is able to uh, establish complete control over uh, the territory. They do form some kind of um, inclusive government and that they are uh, capable of preventing export of uh, radicalism and terror beyond their borders. I think this uh, would be something that would be welcomed across uh, all powers. I'm not saying that this is the future, but 
I'm saying this is something that would be welcomed by all. Uh, but from a South Asian perspective, or rather from an Indian perspective, uh, not a South Asian perspective, from an Indian perspective, this also, even this scenario causes certain problems because uh, a stable Afghanistan of under, under Taliban rule, uh, oppressive not, I'm not getting into that, but is the fact would be that it would distinctly uh, increase China's role in the region. Uh, China's BRI would definitely then move ahead and uh, Central Asia, West Asia, and of course, parts of South Asia would come under increasing influence for, of the Chinese. From an Indian perspective, given our current relationship with China, it is not necessarily the best scenario. But uh, at the same time, as I said, it probably is better than the second scenario where Afghanistan is unstable. I think Ambassador Lodi has very uh, eloquently described what happens to the region, not only us, but even let's say Central Asia and other areas. Uh, it is a danger, not just for Pakistan, it's a danger for everyone. And yes, Pakistan being on the front line will probably have to bear the brunt of it, uh, of the instability or any kind of protracted uh, fighting in uh, uh, Afghanistan. So eventually now, the overall Indian position, one is we have to recognize, I mean, I know there are many Indians who are stricken by angst that India is not invited to various discussions and all kinds of things. But the fact is, India does not deserve to be in any of these discussions. India simply does not have the kind of leverage that the other players have. It's as simple as that. If anyone wanted to today address a problem in uh, Afghanistan, who would they speak to? Any other country, I mean, a third party country, they would try and reach out to maybe Pakistan, USA, China, or Russia. They're not going to reach out to India to resolve a problem that they have in uh, Afghanistan. So I think India also has to temper its expectations. But yes, the fact is, while India may have limited on ground leverage today win a Kabul, the fact is, India has considerable leverage with many of the players who are involved. And therefore, India has to use that influence, use those uh, ties that it has, whether it's with the United States, whether it is with Russia, whether it is with Iran, to try and flag uh, the concerns it has and to ensure that the international community does hold uh, whatever regime or whatever government comes to uh, establish itself in uh, Kabul, that it holds them to certain standards. And there I completely agree again with Ambassador Lodi that uh, international unity at this point of time, till as she so eloquently described, the political fog lifts, till then, undoubtedly, international unity is the call for the day. And uh, I just hope that the powers that are vying uh, for influence, or, I mean, particularly the members of the extended Troika, that they don't allow their bilateral relationships to uh, overcome the common cause that they have in the extended uh, Troika and suddenly splinter up. And then you're going to have a real mess in Afghanistan. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much, uh, Nandan. Um, let's now go to uh, Huma Yusuf. Thank you, Michael. 
thank you to the Wilson Center for convening this. Um, I was going to add some additional comments from the Pakistani perspective, though, of course, uh, Ambassador Lodi is a very difficult uh, act to follow. I will just try and sort of um, supplement some of the views she's already presented. So I think one of the interesting things um, from Pakistan's perspective, even these last few difficult days, which have been filled with sort of tragedy and anxiety and a sense of mourning from a certain constituency within uh, Afghanistan about this turn of events. Even in this difficult time, we've seen something interesting happen from Pakistan's perspective, which is that it has been able to play a role that it has historically played in the context of Afghanistan, which is to step up and immediately start to play some kind of key role uh, in the humanitarian uh, aspect in terms of providing support for the evacuation initiatives, already sort of starting to make provisions for refugees coming in to start that important conversation about how we are going to support people uh, on a very human level who are affected or displaced by the developments in Afghanistan. And I think this uh, is, is Pakistan at its best, frankly. And I think it's an important thing for Pakistan to find itself having to play this role uh, and remembering that there is an opportunity for it to be a real partner to Afghanistan through this very difficult time in a way that slightly reorients the nature of the conversation over the past two decades. Um, with that said, though, I do think that one of the things um, that we are likely to see, of course, everyone has touched a bit on the security developments and that being the key sort of concern for the region going forward. I think that in any scenario, even one where the Taliban are able uh, to create some kind of inclusive, semi-stable um, Taliban-led regime in Kabul, there will inevitably be a gradual uptick uh, in cross-border attacks, probably led by the Pakistani Taliban or some other groups that affect the western regions of Pakistan, so the ex-Fata area, uh, the Khyber Pakhtunkhwa province in the northwest and Balochistan. Um, and this uh, increase in, in militancy, um, cross-border militancy potentially, will always uh, have this element of plausible deniability by all actors involved, resulting from the fact that the Taliban continues to be, even the Taliban that has taken over now, uh, a fragmented, decentralized organization where Kabul-based Taliban leaders will not have complete and coherent and cohesive control over militant commanders operating in different districts across the country. And so, uh, and similarly, there continue to be, you know, we've, we've heard this term uh, over the last couple of years, the militant soup, where there is a lot of dynamism and fluidity in the way that different groups work together, the networks that they have, the resources and support they offer each other. And so I do think we'll continue to have this level of, even as the security situation gradually um, uh, uh, destabilizes and there is an uptick in sort of regional terrorism, that everyone will be pointing fingers at everyone else. And I think one of the interesting things to watch over the coming years will be what kind of relationship can an Afghanistan and a Pakistan have and what will be the nature of that bilateral relationship going forward in this context. Uh, of plausible deniability on all sides. Um, I think that the world is quick to sort of conflate this idea of, oh, it's the Pakistan-backed Taliban and Pakistan has influence and Pakistan has leverage, but we are well beyond the 1990s and that no longer is the case. And this is in some ways two states that do need to find a new equation of how to be bilateral partners. And I think that that's because of the security aspects to this, that's going to be a challenging and interesting conversation. And especially so in a scenario where 
things are are, are in a worst case scenario um, and there are sort of more uh, transnational or global terror attacks that are linked back to uh, to Afghanistan and as ambassador hale has alluded pressure starts to come on pakistan uh, that it somehow take responsibility or step up and start to counter those issues but i i think that the world that we're in now uh, will be a different one where pakistan's actual leverage and influence is one that we we still need to see what what that will take uh, shape that will take so i think that will be an interesting uh, development i also think the um, i'd like to spend a few minutes sort of on that geopolitical point that again you know uh, several others have have hit on and i think that this will be uh, again you know the the question today is sort of what are the regional implications of afghanistan and i think seeing the success of something like the troika plus uh, seeing how china establishes um, its its role in this um, you know post 31st august position it will obviously seek to reach some kind of agreement with the taliban to secure its interests primarily cpec but also to improve regional connectivity uh, pakistan and russia are talking frequently about how they have sort of similar goals um, so it'll be interesting to see where the sort of broader geopolitical chips fall in the sense of uh, a country like pakistan will have to make some difficult uh choices i think uh because while we're all calling for international unity i think we're already starting to see some kind of bifurcation in tone where there's a sort of western message which is around uh counterterrorism and a sort of shanghai cooperation organization russia china led message which is around regional connectivity and trade and that there there will be this implicit division between these two camps and that pakistan will find itself trying to speak to both but struggling to sort of be heard in either and i think that that geopolitical dimension will be interesting it'll also be interesting to see whether the way that the middle east has been affected um with certain uh, by by these developments in afghanistan with sort of doha having supported uh the talks uh but ghani fleeing to the uae and some of the uh concerns arising within the gulf that there may not be a completely unified approach there in terms of how they want to engage with afghanistan whether that would in turn then have further implications for south asia so i do think from the geopolitical perspective there's going to be some interesting developments worth uh, uh monitoring over the coming months and years but i think i just wanted to end with some comments on sort of the the social um implications across the region and for pakistan in particular of these developments and i think we're hearing this idea repeatedly um that uh, religious groups and i'm not talking about violent or extremist or militant groups but just sort of religious groups religious political parties etc will feel quite emboldened and encouraged by the taliban's success and i do think that we will see uh, a resurgence in that kind of islamist political um uh, forces uh, we'll start to see more sort of political parties making concessions to religious groups sort of recognizing and being anxious about the fact that they seem to have won over in some cases the the popular narrative the sense that actually there is public support for something like a taliban that can come in and offer less corruption prompt justice etc um and that and i think even the recent scenes coming out of kabul of um sort of uh, urban young west linked afghan seeking to evacuate and relocate it sort of really deepens a narrative that that had already been emerging across the region but also of course in pakistan of this sense that um 
those who espouse sort of pro-democracy values, those who are progressive or liberal in their thoughts, those who are pushing for inclusive politics are somehow not indigenous, that they are Western agents or traitors, um, and that what uh, is more indigenous or more authentic or local would be religious movements that somehow get tied up with Islamic identity. And I think the scenes playing out in Afghanistan give sort of a fillip to that kind of narrative and will make sort of progressive politics a bit more challenging, I think, across the region, certainly in Pakistan as well, because of the way that religious groups will be emboldened. Um, but I think the, the biggest sort of disappointment, uh, again, from, from across the border perspective and looking slightly long term here, so sort of not in the immediate few weeks and months, but I think one of the, the problems with this recent development is that the conversation is going to stay where it has been for uh, the past three to four decades. We're going to be in, firmly in the space of terrorism, security, um, and geostrategic implications. And what that means when not talking about are the real challenges of the 21st century. So issues like climate change, water scarcity, the drought that is affecting Afghanistan and Pakistan, um, and uh, the pandemic, health infrastructure. These topics are now going to get pushed back off the agenda while we all focus uh, on, on the security implications of this development. I'll stop there. Thank you. Thanks, Huma. And indeed, that your final point is particularly important, uh, the risk that these non-security challenges in Afghanistan will not covered enough. I just saw recently that the World Food Program uh, has indicated that there are more people, there are more children that are experiencing emergency levels of food insecurity in Afghanistan than any other country in the world other than uh, the, the DRC. So this is heartbreaking. Um, at any rate, let's now move, last but not least, um, to Dr. Venka. Thank you, Michael. Uh, thanks to the Wilson Center, Ambassador Green, Abe, for inviting me to be part of this panel. Um, I know Ambassador Hale's uh, started off and mentioned about a potential target, India being a potential target. But I think, uh, um, you know, more uh, pertinently, I would say that security concerns, of course, are there with recent developments in Afghanistan. But um, more importantly, I think there are two counts on which Indian concerns, uh, you know, are currently um, revolving uh, with recent developments in Afghanistan. One of them, of course, is the forceful manner in which uh, this change has been perpetrated and uh, in such a short time. Uh, unfortunately, it appears that the way forward is being decided by uh, what's happening on the ground and not by what is being discussed in the conference rooms. Uh, it is an accepted fact that the US had to withdraw someday uh, from its uh, conscious decision to enter and maintain a presence in Afghanistan. And this had been deliberated upon for uh, almost a decade. Yet um, some tough questions uh, would be asked of the United States too, in terms of the manner in which this withdrawal has occurred and whether it could have been planned and executed more effectively, especially for retaining some form of democracy. Regardless uh, of the actual reasons uh, why this withdrawal has happened and the way it has happened, the recent uh, developments in Afghanistan is a death blow to the fledging democratic process uh, that has been conceptualized for the last 20 years. Uh, yes, there is an argument that the United States was in Afghanistan for 20 years, uh, yet I use the word fledging uh, very deliberately because uh, democracies are not nurtured overnight. Uh, 
um, I think we'll all agree and acknowledge that as the world's largest and oldest democracies, we continue to evolve every day, despite so many years of experience. So 20 years of democracy in Afghanistan was unfortunately too short a time. The second count on which uh, I think India's concerns resolve or, or rather revolve is the, the future of India's economic commitments uh, towards Afghanistan. Um, India has over the last two decades actively complemented the US military involvement in Afghanistan through its contributions uh, in the economic reconstruction and rehabilitation process. Um, uh, there has not been any area that in Afghanistan that has not been touched and projects have been taken up uh, across 34 provinces of Afghanistan. Um, so the future of these economic projects and the commitments that India has had with uh, a democratic government in Afghanistan is another key concern that India has moving forward. Um, how will things play out in the future? I think I would uh, agree with my panelists that uh, uh, you know it, it is too early to currently um, analyze as developments are taking place even as we speak. But I am fairly certain that deliberations around certain key questions would reveal uh, maybe how the future developments in Afghanistan and the larger region play out. Um, would the United States and its partners hold or retain any leverage over the Taliban uh, so that it can uh, resist or remain unresponsive to pressure from other terror groups? Um, you know, I know Ambassador Lodi, for example, mentioned a number of the terror groups. I can add a few more, like the Lashkar e Taiba and the Jaish e Mahmud and the Akani network, uh, which, which, which worryingly there are signs, uh, not just for India, but also for China, Russia, and the United States, that uh, some of these elements are already a part of the Taliban's recent overrunning of Afghanistan. Uh, in this context, I think another key question that needs deliberation is uh, uh, whether it would be the right move to diplomatically isolate a Taliban government, um, because this doesn't provide uh, uh, an opportunity to engage uh, with uh, the Taliban to form an inclusive government. Uh, we are aware of resistance around the Panjshir region, and uh, the repercussions of such resistance could quickly, um, you know, um, um, move into a civil war situation and we could go back to the pre-2001 days. Uh, further efforts to try and impose financial constraints could also be counterproductive uh, because what we would see is uh, this could push the Taliban to seek other sources of incomes including through poppy cultivation and drugs trafficking and also make it more vulnerable to any sort of financial incentives particularly from the terror groups that uh, that I have mentioned or Ambassador Lodi has mentioned. Um, all these raise uh, concerns for India on the security front. Yet, in comparison to the 1990s, I think on the security issues, today India is in much more effective control of security developments in its own, uh, uh, around its own borders and also has a very robust national security uh, management architecture in place. And what this has done is has resulted in a drastic reduction of terror attacks and a significant increase in elimination of terrorists. So while security concerns do exist with what has happened in Afghanistan, I think, uh, unfortunately, it also tends to be overplayed, especially right now in the public narrative. Um, the other question that I think uh, 
requires a fair deal of deliberation is whether the U.S. Uh, uh, has uh, uh, will accept uh, a more proactive role for Russia and China uh, in Afghanistan and the region moving forward. Um, uh, Russia has already started playing a more active role in neighboring Central Asia. Uh, President Putin has uh, expressed concerns over the spillover of radical Islam into the region. Um, simultaneously, the, present, uh, the presence of uh, certain groups like the ETIM, which is sympathetic to the Uyghur cause in Xinjiang, also raises concern for China. And hence, China is also now becoming more actively involved. Um, it has already begun diplomatic engagement with Taliban and uh, President Xi and President Putin have also agreed to cooperate and developments in Afghanistan and more importantly against foreign interference. Uh, yet another question that needs uh, deliberation moving forward is the US commitment to its allies. Again, uh, uh, was the nature and degree of involvement of regional partners in this decision-making process uh, appropriately outlined and inclusive. Um, the, the, the withdrawal of the United States, has that created a trust deficit among allies that will spill over into potential future cooperation in other important geographies? For example, the Indo-Pacific region, um, and especially in strengthening freedom of the open seas initiatives. Uh, recently coinciding with developments in Afghanistan, there was a public narrative that emerged about the U.S. commitment to defend Taiwan if attacked by China. And this drew a response uh, from President Biden. I want to uh, you know, conclude by just mentioning a couple more points. Uh, contrary to the widely acknowledged narrative of gaining strategic advantage, I think state actors uh, neighboring Afghanistan that have a symbiotic relationship with the Taliban uh, I believe will be in a very difficult situation moving forward. And they will have an important role to play amidst the recent developments in Afghanistan. Uh, why do I say this? Because there is already existing concerns in the international community over certain state actors providing sanctuaries to terror groups that aim to destabilize regional security. Such concerns have already resulted in actions taken by the Financial Action Task Force recommending very specific steps to be taken since the last two, three years. The threshold in the international community on acts of terrorism in comparison to the pre-2001 days is also very low. And hence, any attempt to use Afghanistan as a base to launch terror attacks, uh, and, and there can be no control over these terror attacks. Uh, it could be on the, uh, on the Russian neighborhood, uh, it could be in Xinjiang, or it could be against India is only expected to further intensify international scrutiny of the Taliban and other state actors who support it. These very state actors have a difficult task ahead to ensure that the Taliban does not provide sanctuary to terror groups in Afghanistan. And now I think this is a point Ambassador Hale mentioned that with the withdrawal of uh, the United States from Afghanistan, uh, one can expect the United States to exert more pressure on such state actors to crack down on terror elements, not only in Afghanistan, but within its own territory. So I'll stop there and maybe we'll uh, move forward uh, in, uh, during the discussion. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot, Dr. Venkat, and, and thanks to the five of you. Terrific uh, comments. You, uh, you packed a lot of substance into a very small amount of time. So really appreciate it. 
We have just over 10 minutes left. Uh, I will forego my uh, opportunity to pose a question because we have a lot of great questions from the audience and I've tried to group a number of them together. And I will, what we'll do here is have one round uh, of questions that I'll direct to you. And then if there's more time, we'll go to more. Uh, so several questions for uh, Ambassador Hale, focusing on the future US role. Uh, so what approach do you think the U.S. should take toward the issue of recognition of the Taliban government? Uh, and also, what do you think are the prospects for U.S. intelligence um, capacities through the over-the-horizon uh, notion when, you, when there's no boots on the ground? And more broadly, if you just wanted to briefly comment on what you think the U.S. role in broader South Asia should be, uh, post-withdrawal and with the Taliban uh, in, in power in Afghanistan. And then um, for, I guess, well, I guess these could be directed to anyone, but perhaps I would suggest Ambassador Lodi and, uh, and Huma uh, Yusuf. Question of um, how much influence do you think the, uh, the Pakistan will have over the Taliban now that the Taliban has taken power again and can essentially relocate and be completely present uh, in Afghanistan? And finally, for uh, Nandan and, and Dr. Venkat, there have been a number of questions about how India should deal with the developing situation, the developing geopolitical dynamics of the region, which many of you have already outlined, uh, which appear to perhaps be disadvantageous for India. What should India's role be moving forward, looking at Afghanistan, given the reality of a, um, a Taliban government, as well as the, the likelihood that Pakistan and China, India's two rivals, could have opportunities, could, I say, because they could have opportunities to uh, develop a uh, significant footprint in Afghanistan. So, uh, Ambassador Hale, why don't we start with you? Thank you, Michael. Um, well, as to the future of U.S. relations with Afghanistan and the Taliban, um, I would say it's in the hands of the Taliban. They will be painting that picture. Um, I think I laid out earlier some of the conditions that I personally, anyway, would expect. I think that at the top of the agenda has to be uh, their posture toward terrorism and the projection of extremism from their country. Uh, if they take a, a, an attitude of, of adequate suppression of that, um, they've opened the door to a, some kind of relationship. Without that, there is no door that is open. Um, I, I believe that those who talk about an inclusive government in Afghanistan are engaging a little bit in wishful thinking, even if there are factions that are willing and ready to join the Taliban, uh, I think they will quickly find that they will be muscled aside at any important key moments of decision about the guys with the guns. Uh, and uh, I wish it were otherwise, and I hope that um, more, more can be done in that regard, but I think we have to be realistic. Um, and how, they, how the Taliban treats its people will be a key function as well of the nature of any, uh, any, any opening of a relationship. That said, we do need to talk to them. Uh, that is not the same thing as diplomatic recognition. We will not achieve our goals without a dialogue. And I, I strongly favor that. I'm not an expert about our over the horizon capacity. Uh, I'm amazed by the things we can do, uh, but there is no substitute for a physical uh, presence. Uh, so uh, there will be gaps, unfortunately, in that regard. And that's why, again, the role of our partners, around, the neighbors of Afghanistan, becomes so important in the role of Pakistan in particular. As for the future of our policy towards South Asia, it's actually very encouraging. <clears throat> we have a rich array of interests and relationships in South Asia that have little to nothing to do 
with counterterrorism or with Afghanistan. Uh, and they sometimes have been overshadowed uh, by this monumental investment that the United States uh, was, was making in Afghanistan. Uh, we now are free of that burden. Uh, and I hope we can invest what we were spending on that, uh, that effort in Afghanistan and in the neighboring states now on, on helping our friends and allies deal with the future. Counterterrorism will still be part of that, uh, but the opening the opportunities for the next generations in India and uh, in, in South, all throughout South Asia, and I want to continue to talk about Central Asia, will be key to building the stability needed not only uh, for the benefit of those countries and our relationships, uh, but to make sure that whatever is happening in Afghanistan, to the extent possible, is contained. Back to you, Mike. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, now the question about the, what we can expect for the future relationship between uh, the Taliban and, uh, and the Pakistani state. So Ambassador Lodi or, or Huma, if either of you wanted to briefly address that. Yeah, I think, uh, Michael, I'd like to say a few, make a few broad points as well, um, because I think this may be some confusion on this score, and I want to clarify that. One, there is no daylight between various members of the international community on what the expectation is of the Taliban. If you look at the Security Council statement, you look at the OIC communique, you look at the Human Rights Council statement of two days ago, they all say the same thing. So do not underestimate the power of collective opinion. This is extremely important. I also think it's unprecedented. Never have I seen, I've served at the UN for five years, never have I seen so much solidarity in terms of expectations. So I don't think it would be correct to say that the Russians and the Chinese want something else and the Americans, everybody wants top of the agenda, as David Hale says, top of the agenda for everyone is combating terrorism. There is no question about that. So let's make no mistake on that score. Nobody is going to be lenient on that score. The second broad point I want to make is there is a mistaken assumption you know, I speak to the Chinese all the time. There's a mistaken assumption that the Chinese are just waiting on the border to rush into Afghanistan. Not true. They're very cautious. They're very careful. There is no way that they want to go and supplant another country just because, in fact, some um, entreaties that have been made to China that can you pick up the tab now of whatever in Afghanistan, they've often responded by saying, let's see how the situation turns out. Why should we pick up the tab uh, you know, and clear the mess uh, that has not been made by us? I mean, I, I'm paraphrasing them, so maybe it's not fair to sort of cite them. I have not, I'm not citing them, but that's my understanding of the Chinese position. So let's be very clear. I think one of the mistakes that Western countries make about China is that they assume that China is going to mimic their behavior. China does not mimic anybody's behavior. China's behavior is very much its own. So yes, there is a vacuum that has been left by the U.S. Uh, and the coalition's withdrawal from Afghanistan. But now I, I think it's, it's a bit rich to try to now say, why are the countries uh, rushing in? I mean, you were there for 20 years and you've left. So now it's up to the rest. I think the best bet still is for everyone to be on the same page and ensure that instead of sort of talking about this, you know, vying for influence and so on, to ensure that it's a win-win solution or outcome for everyone. I think that's where Pakistan wants to be. And lastly, your, uh, the actual question that you asked, which is such a narrow one, leverage. I mean, I, you know, uh, we don't know how much leverage we'll have, frankly, because we don't know how certain or uncertain the situation is going to be. So if I turned around and said, 
well you know afghanistan is a landlocked uh, state so pakistan you know geography gives pakistan huge influence well that's true up to a point but there is a limit to how much we can do yes uh, we have been asked by the international community to play a certain role we're trying to do that uh, and huma was right in, in in underlining the the kind of stellar role that my country has played in the evacuation effort and in um, supporting the humanitarian response that's going on ask any un agency right now who's helping guess what it's pakistan so i think we need to keep all of these in perspective so to narrow down <laughs> that pakistan's only role is you know let's just ask pakistan about what leverage it has fine uh, by all means ask that question and as i said the answer depends entirely on how the situation on the ground plays out it's very hard i still would argue that leverage is with the international community if it acts in unison otherwise nobody has leverage thank you thank you huma did you want to add anything briefly no i think this does get at the the point that i was trying to make right at the outset which is that i think a lot of this this myth of pakistan's leverage or so called you know control puppet mastery of the taliban this is this is outdated and inaccurate and, and is is certainly not rooted in what's to come uh, and that a lot of that will have to do with the dispensation that does emerge in afghanistan and the level of of uh, you know control that a taliban led regime based in kabul would have over the rest of the country and on the sort of numerous militant groups that are operating in that area and the fact that we know that there will never be that kind of neat centralized control and we also know that as uh, activities happen and fingers are pointed here and there that all groups will constantly try and refer to this idea of plausible deniability that actually what i see emerging is a scenario where there is more potential for two sovereign states pakistan and afghanistan to find themselves uh, at odds and so this this notion that you know pakistan will be the leverage pakistan will speak to the taliban on behalf of the rest of the world i just think that that's an outdated notion and and i agree with ambassador lodi here that we need to look forward and see sort of what situation emerges there how much influence the you know unified international community will have and other sort of geopolitical developments in the region and then based on that we can see what role pakistan could politically play in terms of engaging uh, with the taliban going forward and with whatever government emerges out of this period of uncertainty thank you huma i really appreciate the comments so let's come to to nandan and and dr venkat essentially had the last word any brief thoughts on India's role what it can and should do uh, in this very complex uh, environment uh, right now uh, nandan do you want to go first absolutely uh, and venkat can always jump in and add whatever he thinks necessary let me start with this thing that i agree with Amb- ambassador lodi that china acts in its own interest i mean completely and any great power should uh, I also believe that China I am I was racking my brain but I could not find one instance where China has done anything for charity for anybody. So uh I agree again that it does everything in its own interest. I also have not found a situation where China has backed away from taking risks if it sees the cherry at the end of that risk. So uh in the given situation where the United States has left a vacuum as you pointed out i think the chinese would be in the right frame of mind if they moved in and tried to check out whether they can uh, get any benefits or not i'm not worried about the chinese russians or anyone else 
trying to fill the vacuum. Uh, that is not the point. The point is, however, slightly different that I am trying to make at least, is that what is the geopolitical situation that we are confronted with from an Indian perspective? From an Indian perspective, it's very simple. India has two essential challenges. One is purely internal. India has a development challenge. It has close to 400 million poor people. These people have to be lifted out of poverty. Come what may, that is a challenge and it has to be done. The second challenge is very simple again, that India does not want the emergence of a hegemon on the Eurasian landmass or the linked so-called Indo-Pacific. And India is going to align with whoever is willing to help and shares these values with India and move towards that goal. So the geopolitical situation is not significantly in that sense changed because of Afghanistan. Yes, in a regional sense, there has been a change. There is a worry. There are certain concerns. But as Venkat said, India is capable of dealing with the security aspects of it. We have built a robust system and we are not worried about that. But what we are worried about is the uh, growth of influence of various players in the region as a whole. And that is something India will have to learn to deal with. And as I said, that will be linked to India's internal policies, because as India develops its capacities, it will find greater and greater strength to resist uh, these forces that it faces. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nandan, for that intervention. Um, Benkat, let's go to you for your final brief uh, final comments. Thank you. Um, you know, I think you, the, the question was about how India is going to deal with some of these developments. Um, just like China, I think India is also going to be very pragmatic about this approach and, and, and focus on its national interests. Uh, it would ideally like to deal with the Taliban. But as Ambassador Hale said, how do you deal with the Taliban that is, uh, uh, you know, uh, impacting women's rights and, 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 and destroying uh, infrastructure, uh, cultural uh, heritage uh, in Afghanistan. So it will become increasingly difficult to uh, justify any such engagements, although uh, India would like to do that because, um, you know, we, we have really invested economically in Afghanistan for the last 20 years, and we would like to continue doing that. The Taliban has acknowledged it. The Taliban has never ever had any position when it comes to Kashmir. Um, so we, uh, you know, we, we do, I don't think there is a concern in terms of engaging with Taliban. The concern would be in terms of, and I agree with Ambassador Hale, that concerns would be in terms of how the Taliban decides to form the government, what is the representation in that government, how does it approach certain key important issues. Um, you know, I, I, I think that will decide. Uh, India's approach, but all options are on the table. Well, thank you very much, Venkat. Well, with that, as expected, the hour flew by. We went over a bit, um, but uh, unfortunately, we need to wrap up. This was a great conversation. Just wanted to say that uh, we will have soon, in the coming uh, weeks, we'll have uh, some activities, some events focused on the implications of the situation in Afghanistan for China and for Russia, which we got into a bit today. We'll get into that in detail in the coming weeks. And I'd also encourage uh, all of you listening to consult our um, Afghanistan content page on the Wilson Center website, wilsoncenter.org slash region slash Afghanistan, which will has all of our recent activities, publications, um, products, 
including those associated with the Afghanistan Initiative, hindsight up front. But uh, with that, uh, I will need to uh, adjourn. So once again, I want to thank our five excellent panelists and thank all of you uh, who tuned in. Thank you for the great questions. Sorry that I couldn't get to all of them, but uh, this has been great. Uh, thank you and everyone, please stay well and stay safe. So thank you very much. We're adjourned. We hope you have enjoyed this Wilson Center special event. This has been a production of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. Be sure to check out more of the Wilson Center's activities, media, and events at wilsoncenter.org.